So this morning, our young people are doing a retreat, so none of them are here present uh, in the chapel, so uh, our, our numbers are somewhat depleted. You can probably hear that by the responses uh, at Mass. Uh, so they are hopefully being spiritually, uh, undoubtedly being spiritually nourished this morning. So it's just uh, myself, a couple of friends here, and your good selves at home on the live stream. So I'm aiming this particularly, I suppose, at, at yourselves in, in the live stream. Uh, normally when I have the young people here, I'm, I'm more or less talking to them, uh, but I think it's good also to, to keep your good selves in mind. So two little things, one on the gospel and one on the reading. Uh, John sometimes gets a bad reputation from this gospel because it seems like John himself doesn't believe if Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So uh, it seems like the, the, the disciples of John come to ask the Lord to say, look, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, I heard it explained this way, which I very much like. Okay, keep in mind, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, Mary is carrying Jesus, and Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? From the moment your greeting reached my ears, the child within my womb leaped for joy. So Elizabeth recognizes right at the beginning that there's something very, very special about this child, about Jesus. They would have grown up, they weren't a million miles from each other, so they would have, they would have known each other. They would have known each other. Uh, and then John is the one who says, behold, uh, the Lamb of God. So John does reveal him. John does recognize him. So the situation may well be that these two disciples come to John and they say, look, we've heard about this Jesus. Is he the one who is to come or should we wait for another? And then John basically says, rather than just relying on my testimony, go check it out yourselves. Go look. Rather than kind of waiting for me to say yes, I, or no, go look at this Jesus guy and look at what he does. Okay, so then the, these disciples of John go to Jesus and they say, John has sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for someone else? Not that John himself doubts it, but we, we, we've, we've doubted it. So are you the one? And uh, then we see how, how Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, you know, every... Uh, so many of the, the, the sick that come to him are healed. Uh, as we see here, the blind see again, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And happy the man who does not lose faith in me. So it's not necessarily the case at all that John doesn't believe that Jesus is, is the Lord, but that John is simply saying to, to his disciples, go check it out for yourselves and you will see. You don't need my testimony, you'll see yourselves that, the Lord, that Jesus is who he says he is, or that Jesus is the Messiah that we have waited for. Okay, uh, so, so often, when it comes to any missionary effort in our church, we can maybe think about the importance of structures and fundraising and groups and committees and, and all that kind of thing. And there's a certain amount of organization necessary, absolutely, we have to pay our bills. And, you know, it's good to have, we, we can't expect a, a priest or a number of priests in a parish to do everything. So absolutely, there is a need for, for coordination and collaboration. But the most, I think one of the most important things, well, the most important thing, and then 
the second most important thing. We'll have a look at these. The most important thing, is obviously, is that any initiative uh, as regards renewal or as regards ministry is rooted in Christ. So that we, as faithful people, are developing our own divine intimacy, our own relationship with the Lord. Otherwise, we have nothing to give. That's obviously the most important thing, but we're not talking about that today. The, the, the second point is that everyone in the church, I think, if I can be a little, little blunt about it, everyone in the church needs to realize that they represent the church, that they are the visual representation of the church. They, if you will, incarnate what our church is or what our church believes. Because anyone on the outside, anyone, uh, any atheist, any kind of non-believer, any uh, person who's baptized but hasn't practiced in years, how will they judge the church? They won't judge the church by the Bible because chances are they won't know it. They won't judge the church by the catechism because they've never heard anything from it. They will judge the church by its members. They will judge the church by those they see. So we, we represent the church. Uh, and that, that has, has been the case since, since the year dot. I mean, there's obviously wonderful inspired words in scripture, but your average Joe Soap on the street, where will he hear those words? If not through those in the church. So our example is absolutely critical. We make the gospel incarnate. We're the ones who put it into practice. We're supposed to put it into practice. We're the ones who are supposed to represent, so represent the church. So we have this vocation like John, where there are, if you will, disciples or possible disciples, uh, wandering or potential disciples wandering around. And they're looking to see, does someone live in a way that's inspiring? Does someone live in a way that, that answers my questions? And dare I say, if they find someone who does, it's probably unlikely that immediately they will say, oh, that's amazing, fantastic, I will join. The reaction tends to be to kind of probe a little, to see, you know, test the virtue of, of, of the wise man or test the virtue of the Christian to see if they're really a follower of the Lord or if it's just superficial. And you see this in schools as well, you know, when, when you visit a class and one, one lad will say, you know, Father, what's the story of all this paedophilia or something? You know, so he's asking a question, kind of half to be provocative, maybe half, because he actually wants to know what the story is. I mean, if priests and religious, if you're supposed to represent the church and yet all this stuff happened, how can we believe that the church is, is, is true or that the, that the Lord is there or that, that the church is worth belonging to? You know, so... They ask Frank enough questions. So you give them the frank answer. That's, that would be generally my approach. Give them the, the blunt answer. You know, that if anyone in the church has done anything wrong in any way, shape, or form, that is entirely wrong, not only in the eyes of the state, but doubly wrong in the eyes of God, because they have a responsibility to God to represent the church. So there is no, there's no glossing over it or pretending everything is okay. Uh, the church uh, has imperfect people in it and some unfortunately in the past have done horrific things uh, but just like in Ireland in this country that I love there are some Irish people in the past who've done some horrific things uh, terrorism and all sorts of things that I, I can't defend and won't defend but it doesn't mean I want to renounce my Irish passport there are good people here too so anyway that's, that's a, a side point we represent the gospel, you and I, you and I.
So the way we live, the way you and I love and forgive and are, are positive about people, the way we're, this might sound a bit profane to say it this way, but the way that we're pleasant company. You know the way, if you're in the, the company of someone who's affirming and loving and joyful, and when you come in, like, you know, oh, the government, oh, absolutely sick of them. I'm sick of this coronavirus. And, they say, and then they say to you, ah, yes, but don't worry. Don't worry. All shall be well. The good Lord has everything in his hands. And it just kind of diffuses that negativity and that, you know, masks, no masks discussion and all of this. And someone just says, you know what I mean? Like, we, we place everything in the good Lord's hands and we trust him. And gives you a smile. And it just somehow diffuses all that anger. And this, that's what makes the, the church attractive, which doesn't mean to say we can't have opinions, obviously, on, on how, to, how to move forward in the church. But someone who's pleasant company, you feel affirmed, you feel loved, you feel uh, like you've come out of almost a chapel after having been with them. You just feel that, that they've uh, somehow transmitted light to your soul you know um, this is what makes the church attractive so whatever plans and, 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 and committees we set up on those kind of things initiatives that we have for renewal the real renewal will happen through hearts filled with faith and you and I representing our church with great joy with love and compassion We pray for the realization of this Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. By my own self I swear it, what comes from my mouth is truth, a word irrevocable. Before me every knee shall bend, by me every tongue shall swear, saying from the Lord alone come victory and strength. Amen.